most of us don't like conflict or anything that resembles it. We prefer being affirmed and not corrected, acknowledged and not critiqued. But friends love each other and love commits to progress over comfort. True friends choose the right thing over the easy thing. Dynamic duos challenge each other to lead each other to new hopes and new heights. All right, I love that little intro. That is the sermon in a nutshell. So let's go ahead and have communion and wrap up early today. Um, actually, I, what I really want to do is let's just soak up some worship and uh, join in prayer before we dive in. God, you are so good, and we thank you for being our shepherd. We thank you for uh, leading us beside still waters, um, sometimes kicking and screaming, leading us to uh, just a cool meadow where we can uh, enjoy green pastures and we want to uh, invite you to lead us this morning there today that we might just kind of shrug off whatever we brought here or whatever's weighing our hearts and our shoulders down and just take this moment, this time, to be fully with you as much as we can and, and really hear what you have for us and uh, to let it nurture our, our hearts and our souls, Lord. So uh, we thank you for this, this place. We thank you for this time and, um, and give your hearts, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I am <coughs> Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Water's Edge. And my primary role for the last year and a half has been to be the pastor in the kids' ministry. And um, that has been incredibly awesome. So I've been pastoring for about uh, 15 years now. And for the first 14 of my years, I've been in pastoral leadership and uh, it was just recently that God called me and said, you know, uh, or invited me to, um, to take on a new ministry here in kids' ministry. And um, I have no formal training in kids' ministry, nor do I have any education or training in education. So that should make you all feel re- really at ease about your kids' ministry. But what I've seen is God say, hey, Follow me and I'll take care of the rest. And it's been one of the most rewarding things to be a part of and um, just see how God works so beautifully. We're talking about dynamic duos, and I have seen dynamic duos of teachers coming together and just partnering and saying, we're doing this. I've seen dynamic duos in teachers and kids, and they get to build these relationships and see their lives really just blossom um, and I actually personally get to dive into a lot of dynamic duo relationships with our teachers. Many of them are you this morning here today. And so I just want to thank you and I want to celebrate. Uh, your kids' ministry is incredible and you're making it that. It's also been one of the most challenging things that I've done in the last, uh, well, I would say all of my years of ministry. And um, it, we work on a model that is uh, you can teach with us once a month. And that makes it really flexible and doable for you. We prepare all the materials. It's there. It's ready. You're always partnering with someone. And um, the only challenge with that is that we have, uh, with that model, 140 spots to fill every month. And so we have a team of 62 regular and about 60 people who are on call. But if you do the math there, we are still inviting uh, people and to join in the beauty of that ministry and see how God might be using you. So um, <clears throat> today we're talking about challenge. So this is uh, the, about the only time I do this, but I challenge you. 
to step into kids ministry with me and, uh, and taste some of the, the goodness that comes out of that. So just talk to me, uh, email me if you'd like, and we'll get you going in no time flat. But today we are talking about our last dynamic duo, and that is none other than David and Nathan. Now, we all know King David, right? Like, this is the big guy. This is the guy that God chose rightfully be the, the king of his people to be the house of David from which the lineage is established for Jesus, the Messiah, to be born. In fact, it is that connection that we knew that Jesus was the real deal was because he had that lineage that started with David. And, um, and so, <clears throat> so David, we know him. And... Um, in 2 Samuel is where we're going to be really diving into David's life. His counterpart here, though, is Nathan. Most of us maybe aren't aware of Na- who Nathan is, or maybe we've heard his name a couple times. But Nathan is really important in this dynamic dual relationship with David. He is the, uh, the prophet assigned to the king, and, or I'd say like even appointed by God. Like This is the guy who walks along with the king and kind of is like, maybe not that, or yeah, probably do that. You know, really speaking guidance and insight into the king's ear and hopefully into his heart. Um, very unpopular uh, role, by the way. Like, nobody liked prophets, let alone the king, because the king usually, like, had a direction. And uh, usually the prophets were the ones who were like, no good. So Nathan and David, though, are rare. David's a pretty smart guy, like in general, has this wisdom about him. And he accepts Nathan's presence and his relationship. In fact, they're quite close and they're trusted. And this is rare. Uh, Saul was the king before David. And Samuel was the prophet to Saul. And um, Saul and Samuel did not gel well at all. In fact, if Samuel said something, Saul usually just did the opposite. And, um, and it kind of cost him his kingdom and his leadership. So um, there's this beautiful relationship. So where we start with is in 2 Samuel, first David is, you know, he is established. He has fought all the major battles. He is done with Saul and he has now uh, earned the kingdom. He has both the north and the south. And now the battles they're fighting are kind of on the outskirts with neighboring nations. But there's this establishment. And so in this way, David has kind of arrived. Like he is there and things kind of smooth down and, um, and he's not even going out to battle all the time. So naturally, David's like, well, what do I do next? Well, one day he's like, you know what? God's still being worshipped in a tent. So I think one, a signature of my leadership as king will be to build a temple. Now I love this. So Nathan, like he's a yes guy. He loves, he loves David. And he's like, that's a great idea. Go for it. And then Nathan like takes a nap, goes to sleep that night, wakes up the next morning, and it's on his heart that God is saying that it, that's not it. That is not what David has been given in his leadership. That's not his. And so Nathan actually has to like be the fun wrecker, right? And like come up to David and be like, um, sorry, I know you had plans and they were cool, but scrap them. Um, you will be a lasting dynasty, but you are not going to build the temple. That's someone else's job. So we don't hear about Nathan until a little bit later. Uh, David, again, gets a big dream in his mind, and uh, this time it's not as good of a dream. Uh, he's not going out to battle, so he's hanging around the castle and, and just happens to look over the wall at uh, Bathsheba, who's taking a bath, 
and decides that she's very pretty and he wants to have her as his wife. And, um, you know, I mean, this is, this is real life. So anyhow, Bathsheba ends up pregnant and David arranges for Bathsheba's wife, uh, husband Uriah to be uh, killed in battle so that David can rightfully take Bathsheba to be his wife. Whew. We thought those were like just like tabloids and like uh, the drama that we deal with today, but um, we're real people all the way through Scripture. But once again, Nathan is called by God to speak um, some big words. And um, so Nathan, he, you know, he kind of catches wind of this. God's laying this on his heart. And uh, he gets coffee with David in the morning. And he's like, so how are things going, David? And David's like, oh, yeah, you know, pretty good. And um, how about you? And Nathan, he, he puts forth this parable. He says, well, David, there was uh, once a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had all kinds of sheep, and the poor man had one sheep that he like, treated like a child. It was so dear to him. One day the rich man had um, a house party, some important guests, and instead of slaughtering his own sheep, he took the one sheep that the poor man had and used it instead. And I love this because David really wanted to be a man of integrity. He wanted to be after God's heart. And he heard this and he was like, that's preposterous. He was indignant. And he said, that man should die and repay the poor man fourfold what he has taken from him. And then there's this moment. And I love this here. This is 2 Samuel. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Like, this is a big deal. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. So there it is. Nathan has spoken these really heavy and accus accusational words. And the beauty is, even though the sentence has been spoken, which is death, David spoke it. Um, David repents. He confesses and he repents and acknowledges, you're right, Nathan, what I have done is sinful. This is not what God wanted for his leader, for his, for his person here. And um, it's kind of a beauty because then Nathan, like, he hears, he says, okay, well, here's the good news. Like, there's grace. And God's not going to, you're, you're not going to end in death, but, um, but there will be some rocky parts in your leadership moving forward. And, and he was right, there was from that moment forward. But this is a picture of what we're talking about today in this dynamic duo. And there's something really powerful going on here that we're going to explore. So, so far in our Dynamic Duos series, we have been ultimately focusing on our relationships, focusing on our connections with each other, and seeking or creating ultimately relationships, connections that are meaningful, that they are significant in our lives, that they are authentic, that they actually, you know, we're not just faking it into, you know, like these are real, and that they are dynamic that they cover the highs, the lows, the big parts, like they are, they're real. And um, the first week we talked about how dynamic duos, they need each other. And then they learn from each other. Then they encourage each other. They improve each other. There's growth in there. And then there's also, uh, last week we talked about caring 
for each other. And all the way through this, I'm not just saying this because I'm one of the pastors and trying to promote like things, but um, outside of any bias, I have heard these messages from week to week and have been astounded by what they have spoken into my own practices of relationships. So I'm really grateful for this and, um, and maybe almost as grateful for today's dynamic, which is that uh, dynamic duos challenge each other. So, you know, I saw this when I was uh, looking at the calendar, and at first when I read Challenge, I was like, really? So I don't know if you're uh, kind of noticing this, but the last time I preached, um, it was at the end of the fun month that we're talking about. And of all the fun things that we get to do in fun month, I was assigned rest. And now all these beautiful things that dynamic duos do, like I get assigned Challenge. Oh boy. <laughs> but luckily there's some really beautiful stuff in this, so we're going to go there. So here's, here's the first thing that I want you to see. There are three different ways that we can experience challenge in our dynamic duels, in our dynamic relationships. And the first one we all love, I think, is that we experience challenge toward achievement. Challenge toward achievement. Like we are coaches and we are helping people achieve things. Uh, earlier this year, I preached about um, joining a, uh, a fitness group. It was, it's called F3. It's uh, Fitness, Fellowship, and Faith. And I told you how nervous I was to join that. And uh, that's become a regular thing for me, and I'm really thankful for it. And I've actually met a lot of guys that are also here that are a part of that. And um, just seeing how it um, is accompanying our faith that we're growing here at the Water's Edge. And um, part of that is... Uh, as you, as as we're getting, to, as I get to know people, I'm actually uh, grow, growing in a smaller group of guys, and at least once a week, um, I took the charge and I said, "Hey, let's just run together, and um, we're actually going to take turns going deep on this run, and and, and I want, we want to know like where you're where you're at, how you're doing, what's on your heart, what you're struggling with, and uh, we'll take ten minutes per person, and um, you should have heard." These guys giggle like schoolgirls the first time I said that we were going to do this. Like, this was, this was unheard of. Guys don't usually do this, by the way. Um, but the nice thing is, like, it's while we're running. So um, you can't really say too much because you're going to get winded. But, uh, but this has been a really good thing. And unsolicited, just this last week, I was talking to these guys, and we were digging in deep. And one of them actually said, you know what? Like, like this has been a, a really crazy season for me because... Um, without you guys, like making sure that I get here in the morning and making sure that, um, that I'm here and that these things are being talked about, like I would not be where I am. So we're pushing each other to be uh, better husbands and better fathers and better leaders in our churches and our communities. And, um, <clears throat> and it was just really awesome to hear that and to be able to reciprocate and say, yeah, that's, that's what's happening in my life too. See, what we say is uh, in Proverbs 27, that iron sharpens iron. And that one man or one woman sharpens another. The concept being that in this notion of challenging each other towards accomplishment, everybody's metal. This isn't that there's a sharpening stone and metal against a sharpening stone. This is two pieces of metal at the right angle sharpening each other. Regardless of one, you know, feels like, wow, that's the superior piece of iron, still sharpening each other at the right angles. And that's what we do for each other. We ultimately 
when we challenge each other towards achievement, we are challenging each other to grow better and beyond who we could be or would be without that. Um, accomplishing major goals or uh, reaching towards the better version of ourselves at home with our families, uh, whatever that might be. But that's the first way that we experience challenge and probably our favorite. The second is um, that we can challenge each other towards accountability. Now, this one's probably a little bit less fun, um, you know, so like if we had to choose one, we might not choose this one just as readily. Like a good, count, a good example of uh, fun accountability would be, though, that I, I, I used the public restroom this morning and someone said, hey, make sure that microphone's off. Like that's the, that's the best accountability you can get on a Sunday morning. Um, but it, it is guiding us, right, to make sure that we are remaining resolved towards the thing that we want or we know that is best for us or remaining refrained. Probably the best example that I've seen of this recently has been a group of men here at the church. About three and a half years ago, they, uh, they, just, they formed a house church. And um, before they could really kind of grow roots together and really kind of become familiar with each other, sometimes it takes guys about 10 years to really get into a real relationship. We're super slow. <laughs> um, COVID hit. And so here's all these guys like newly formed in this group and then just like all the rest of us, they're displaced and, you know, kind of confused and nobody knows what's going on and, and everything for all of us kind of fell apart. And one of the men in this, uh, in this group decided that, that he wanted to uh, make sure that this group didn't fall apart over COVID and um, started just taking a, a devotion and sending it out to all the rest of these guys, just wanting to make sure that he could help them stay close to God's word and stay close to each other, that it was going to maybe hold them together throughout this season of unknowns and um, instability. And coolest thing, he sent them out daily, and people started responding, and they started chatting over this. And some of the messages, some of the devotions were challenging. Some of them were comforting. Some of them were encouraging or new information. But there was a, a, lot, of, a lot of back and forth. And then some of the other guys said, hey, I want to take a couple days. And um, how I caught wind of this is a couple of them entered me into their distribution list. So now I get these daily emails from you guys and I get your conversation, and it just struck me this week. What a powerful example of people in this church keeping each other accountable, making sure that, you know, that God's Word is just there and that, that that's a healthy part of a daily practice and a daily life. So this is the challenge towards accountability and the beautiful thing, especially if you're struggling with an addiction or, or desiring to really um, resolve towards something better in your life. Now, the third way that we experience challenge is probably the one that you uh, were hoping that I would just kind of gloss over today. And that is challenge towards responsibility. Now, I could have used words like, um, you know, morality or things like that, but I didn't want to be too much of a Debbie Downer. Uh, sorry, Debbie, we love you. Um, but, <laughs> but it's that kind of notion there. This is uh, probably the most uncomfortable of all of them that we have. Um, I actually started uh, getting pointed toward this through the MOPS ministry. This is Mothers for Preschoolers. It's changing into MOPS Co., so we're actually drawing the circle a little bit wider. You can have kids older or younger than that and be a part of this group. Um, now, I promise you, I don't actually sit in on the classes. 
That would be awkward. Um, but my wife goes, and um, she was telling me that, um, that they were studying some content that just blew her mind. Because, uh, you know, like if you're thinking the, these women just kind of get together and, and chat, and there is chatting, and there are refreshments, but they're also looking at stuff. And, and she brought this home, and um, if you know my wife, she is um, she's a, a harmony gal. She likes everything to just be kind of smooth and, and well-run and kind of happy. Um, she's a, a nine on the Instagram, if that matters to you. Um, and so she doesn't like it when there's turmoil or tension in relationships. Like, she just kind of wants to smooth it out. And like, every, we're all good. Like, she, I had talked to her this morning. She's like, yeah, I'm a cheerleader, right? Um, so she got this, the, there was this uh, sheet that she brought home, and it talked about the friendships that you need in healthy relationships, all the different kinds. And, you know, there was cheerleader in there. There was mentor. There was friend, someone that you could just talk to and, and say anything to. And then she was showing me that there's also the naysayer on there. And she goes, Jason, I finally get why some of my friends are the way they are. <laughs> like, so she's got some friends that would speak truth into her life, would would speak say something to her that they were like, I totally disagree, or I don't think that this is a good thing. And she would be like, why do they keep doing that? Like, don't they want to be friends with me? You know, like, um, so it was really boggling her and and even kind of challenging her in a way that she didn't like until she saw this and realized that there's a place for the naysayer in our lives as in relationships. In fact, there's not only a place, there's a necessity for the naysayer in our relationships. This, the, the truth speaker. The naysayer, the truth speaker, is the one who speaks a truth to us, whether we want to hear it or not, and whether they actually want to speak it or not. And that's a hard role. That's a... Um, a a really not enjoyable role, right? So I actually looked up this MOPS material. I want to decide it and make sure I gave credit to whom credit was due. Um, I couldn't find that, but when I typed in, like, everyone needs a naysayer, um, I, I asked Google, and um, this is what Google came up with. I scrolled, I scrolled about three pages down, and all I could find, and verbatim, were these words, roadblockers, Fun wreckers, <laughs> dream crushers, energy suckers. And the only language accompanied with that was how to beat, overcome, ignore, shut down, or deal with these naysayers. So we live in a, uh, a permission giving society. We live in a yes culture. We want to give people permission. We want to set them free. We are often convinced that the best way to love someone else is just to let them go be them at any cost. So uh, don't do it now, but if you Google the word naysayer, you're going to get a pretty good mirror reflection of our culture to learn that the notion of having a naysayer in your life or being the naysayer not cool. We are uncomfortable with that. It is not something that is appealing to us whatsoever. 
So again, um, I'm so glad I got to preach this message this morning. But I think we're missing something. I think our culture is missing something that's really deep here. We go back to, to, to Nathan. See, here's the thing. Nathan loved David. And David, against all odds, even though Nathan was who he was and had the role that he had, David loved and trusted Nathan. And they had a dynamic duo relationship that ran deep. We know that Nathan wanted to be a yes man for David because, again, when David wanted to build the temple, Nathan was like, you go for it, man, that's going to be awesome, until he heard God say otherwise. We often think that a naysayer is simply someone who just loves rules, right? Because rules can like, make us feel really comfortable and safe, and we can actually leverage control and power from them. But Nathan wasn't that guy. He wasn't just in love with rules. Instead, Nathan sensed something. He sensed something that God was doing and wanted for David. You see, what, what, David, what Nathan sensed and what God was saying was that God didn't just anoint David to be an awesome king for the time he was on earth. God had chosen, had hand-picked David and anointed him not just king, but the beginning of a lineage that would bring forth at just the right time the Savior of the world, the Messiah. Nathan got the sense that God had a much bigger life for David than David saw before him in this moment. So to be clear, at this time, David was on top of the world. He had accomplishment. He had power. He had privilege. This, for David to acquire whatever his heart desired and take whatever he wanted was a rightful action in his position. In any other monarchy and surrounding regions, this would have been absolutely acceptable and even expected from the king. To do this, to take someone else's wife and have it be okay. But that wasn't the kingdom that God was anointing David to establish. That was not the lineage that God was handing to David to steward. And Nathan sensed that. And even though the last thing he wanted to do was again stand up to the king and perhaps even risk his life, Nathan loved David too much loved David too much, saw the life that God had in store for David so much that he couldn't not step in as his naysayer and tell him that what you have done is not okay. And that was probably the, the, the most difficult thing for him, but he wanted life for David. So this may be our least favorite of all the dynamics in our dynamic duo list, but I, I am convinced that it might possibly be one of the richest dynamics in our relationships with each other. One of which I am encouraging each of us to, to step into more, 
to find the depth of that in our relationships with those for whom we are caring. Now, I know there's always concern about abuse, and there are people who abuse this relationship and this challenge and just start flinging arrows um, because they can. But here's the thing. When we get this right, it is one of the most beautiful parts of our relationships, although it is always a little bit tentious. But here's the thing. When it's right, it, in, it, incur, it includes two things. One, it encourages love, and the other is humility. So what I want you to take home with you to feel comfortable with this is the first thing is that truth without love is merely an attack. It is up to us to make sure that we are truly and without agenda loving someone to whom we are speaking a truth or that we trust someone from whom we are hearing a truth. The second is that humility. The truth without humility is merely arrogance. If we are still holding on to our own agenda or still putting forth what we believe is best rather than what God is putting on our hearts, it's arrogance. And it will heard, it'll only be heard by a sense of pride and rejected by that pride. But when we get it right, we look more like Jesus, who led and taught and inter- interacted with each out of a genuine sense of love and humility. From the disciples to those he came to heal and redeem to even the Pharisees. Sometimes we get the notion that Jesus loved everyone but the Pharisees and was just there to go toe-to-toe with them and knock them down. But the only reason Jesus responds to them as he did was because he could, out of a sense of deep love for them and out of a place of humility, and a desire for even each Pharisee to find the better life that God had for them in Jesus. So the best part is that when we, when we get this right, dynamic duos know that they must speak truth to each other in order to speak the better life for each other. Each of us can probably remember a time where we know that we should have spoken a truth to a friend who ended up taking some choices and going down a path that ended up being significantly disruptive for their family, their lives, their careers. We missed an opportunity. Many of us have probably found ourselves along those roads and wished that those around us would have spoken a little clearer to us to speak that truth in love and humility. So the question I want to invite you, the questions I want to invite you to wrestle with today and to, to consider as you go forth with your family, your, your friends, people that are put in your life by God, one is who might God be asking you to speak a truth to or hear a truth from? If God's not laying it on your heart, it probably shouldn't be on your heart. But if he is laying it on your heart, will Will you have the courage to speak it? The second question, and I know this is a little bit uh, worded awkwardly, but um, is your heart humble and filled enough with love for that person to speak that truth well? In other words, is there an agenda in your heart or is there love? 
Is there arrogance of superiority or humility that says, I want what's best for you? And third, is your heart humble and loving enough to hear truth well? Can you let someone speak into your life without your friendship dying and falling apart? So as we go forward, I want to invite us to let our prayer be today that we might have that courage to speak the truth when God lays it on our heart, the courage to hear the truth when someone lays it before us, and to know when God is calling us to speak and when to be quiet. But I really believe that this morning is probably the best morning for us to be able to celebrate and remember communion because of the ways that Jesus challenged us through that. We remember that Jesus gave us the bread, the wine, invited his disciples to gather around a table as he invites us to gather today and to offer them forgiveness offer them freedom from their sins to to be made whole again and to be washed clean. But the challenge in there is that if we are to surrender our sins, if we are to be made whole again, we first have to confront them and hand them over. And so in this challenge, we invite you to accept it and then become freed as you let it go. Because Jesus, when he gathered his disciples as he gathered us today, lifted up that bread, gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And it's broken that when you are broken, you might take from me and be made whole again. That you are forgiven. And then he took up the cup, gave thanks for it, and said, drink from this. It's my blood poured out for you. Let it wash over you in your confession that as you receive my forgiveness, you will again be made new in your life and your love. So he invites us this morning to, to partake of this, to be challenged by our sins, but also ultimately to experience his grace and be freed from them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for This morning, we thank you for putting on our hearts a powerful direction, but a really difficult one. We pray that you will uh, give us courage to embrace it, to love others better, and to find greater humility in our lives. And along that way, Lord, we also pray that you help us understand and acknowledge our sins and know that, that they're yours to take, that you don't want us to hang on to them or be held under by them. So, Lord, as we acknowledge and confess our sins, we pray that, uh, that we might be made whole again by this bread that we pray is for us, your body, and that we might be washed clean again by this juice that we know is your blood. Lord, we lift all these things up and we pray together the prayer that you taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We invite you to come forward as the ushers dismiss you. We want you to know that everyone gathered here is welcome to come forward and to receive these gifts. If you're needing a gluten-free option, there's gluten-free bread on the table and a chalice that is separated for your needs. As the ushers call you forward, we invite you to join us. Oh, Lord, you're my shepherd. You make me lie in fields of green. You lead me by the still waters. You restore righteousness to me. Though I walk through the valley, I will fear no you are with me and you comfort me surely goodness love and mercy will follow wherever I go surely goodness love and mercy will follow follow wherever I go.
little friendship bracelets on the way out. They come in packages of two, so you can take one. You can give those to uh, someone that you're a dynamic duo with. It's a great way to invite them to come and worship with us. There's also a card in your uh, bulletin this week that will invite people to come back for our uh, series immeasurably more starting next week. Otherwise, uh, have a great Sunday, and we'll see you all here next week at the Water's Edge. (laughs) 